Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome, one and all, to the Storybox Podcast, the place to be if you are a lover of stories. My name is Jay Phantom, former real estate agent now, living my purpose, sharing amazing stories from people all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Do you want to know how to become financially free? Well, this is the episode for you. My next guest is none other than Robert Kiyosaki. You heard me correctly, everybody. Welcome so much to Storybox Podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled that you're here today. If you are a new listener or a returning listener, thank you so much for tuning in. Each and every week, I endeavor and it's my mission to bring you stories from people all over the world in the hopes and in my prayer that it will help inspire, motivate, challenge, and educate you in some way. And that's right. You heard me correctly. I have Robert Kiyosaki on the podcast today, and I I had an amazing time being able to unbox this man's uh, incredible journey. But if you don't know who Robert Kiyosaki is, he is best known as the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He is the author of also 26 books that have been translated into 51 languages worldwide. He sold more than 41 million copies around the world. Robert has challenged and changed the way tens of millions of people around the world think about money. He is an entrepreneur, educator, and investor who who believes the world needs more entrepreneurs who will create jobs with perspectives on money and investing that often contradict conventional wisdom. Robert has earned an international reputation for talk, straight talk, and Robert has become passionate about being an unspoken advocate for financial education. Robert has been heralded as a visionary who has a gift for simplifying complex concepts, ideas related to money. And this is a man who told himself that he didn't want to be an educator. How about that, right? Robert has been featured in the BBC, New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Forbes, Entrepreneur, Reader's Digest, Money, NPR, Time Magazine, and Fox News, among many, many others. This, my friends, is going to be one of those episodes where you're going to feel super, super inspired, plus you're going to get a lot of education from it too. And I felt like I was learning so much just by listening to him and I didn't want the conversation to end. So before we dive into the story box and hear Robert Kiyosaki's incredible story, I have one huge favor. You guys, you have been so supportive of the story box so far and you keep coming back every single week and I'm super grateful for that. If you do get something from this episode, please share it around to your friends and family members. I guarantee you, if they're struggling financially or if they just need a boost in their life, then this is the episode for them too. And if you didn't know Robert Kiyosaki's story is another episode uh, for you, please share it around. Also spend 30 seconds of your time. I know it's incredibly valuable, but uh, help build this community and spread more positive change and influence into the world by just spending 30 seconds leaving a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts goes a long way, my friends. So I'm going to be quiet now because it's time to dive into the story box and hear Robert Kiyosaki's, I can't believe I'm saying that, Robert Kiyosaki's story. Oh, thank you. Please call me Robert, you know. 
appreciate it. Oh, I, don't, I don't know if I can do that, but I'll, I'll try. <laughs> Thank you so much, Robert, for, for your time, honestly. Um, I have one question that I love asking people to sort of start things off, which is, what does success look like to you? Well, it's, it's just how many people do I serve? If I, if I, a lot of people just want to make money. And I wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I create my cash flow board games, and I do these calls just because it serves people. Mm. You know, if I can do that, then I'm happy. Mm. But in, in my line of work, which is the world of money, a lot of people, there's a lot of greed and corruption and crime. And it gives the, the capitalist class a bad name, if you know what I mean. Mm, I do. There's greed everywhere. So anyway. I'm curious to know, where did this idea of success come from for you? Because you are a man that has or would be perceived as having quite a lot of wealth, um, have made quite a lot of money over the years, and you don't equate success as being having a lot of money. So I'm curious, why is that first and foremost? And secondly, where did you come up with your idea that success is happiness? Was it a catalyst moment? Well, I wouldn't say success is happiness. I mean, success has been painful. (laughs) I mean, it it really hasn't been... um, you know, the story of rich dad, poor dad, I think is where it starts, is my poor dad was a PhD. You know, he we went to Stanford, University of Chicago, and Northwestern. And I grew up in Hawaii. Mm. And we were a very poor family. And he made a lot of money. But no matter how much money he made, and my mother's registered nurse, we weren't hurting. But we were broke all the time. And I never understood why. So when I was nine years old, I asked my school teacher, so when do we learn about money? And the reason I asked the question is because my cl- I went to a rich kid's school. Mm. And it was by kind of, you know, how the, the boundary lines are drawn. So most of my classmates in Hawaii were rich white kids, and they owned the plantations. And so on the other side of the street, this, I mean, what was, you know, a baseball throw away, mm. was a school for the laborers' kids. It was called Union School versus Riverside School. So it was such a classic Rich kids, poor kids, school, but was also plantation slave. And our families back in the 1880s came to Hawaii as what they call indentured servants. Mm-hmm. So they came from China, Portugal, uh, Japan, Philippines, and things like this. So they, the plantations brought them into Hawaii. And they paid for that transportation from, let's say, Japan, my, my family, to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And you had to work it off. And then if you made enough money, then you went back to Japan. And you went, you supposedly went back as a rich person. Well, the problem is, is the system. And we all know that the system hasn't changed. No. no. Um, you know, my great, great grandparents would bust their ass. They, they'd work on the plantation. And then the plantation charged them for their house because the plantation owned the house. And the plantation owned the store. <laughs> And they still owed the debt for the passage from Japan to Hawaii. So they never made it out of there. So do you know what I mean? It's, it's nothing has changed. Nice. And so I went to a rich kid school in Hawaii where the plantation owner's kids come from. I go, I just want to know what's the difference that makes the difference. Mm-hmm. So I was nine years old. And that's where kind of the story of rich dad, poor dad started because I go home to my poor dad, who was the head of education, and he said, well, we don't teach money at school. I said, well, well, how do I find out about money? And he said, well, ask your best friend's father. He said, what does he know? He says, well, he's an entrepreneur. So this is Rich Dad. And Rich Dad never went to school. That's why he was an entrepreneur. He couldn't get a job. So he became one of the richest men in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> why not, right? <laughs> uh, that's that's why, you know, I, I mean, no offense, but one of the reasons I love Aussies so much is your country was founded on a bunch of, you know, political prisoners, should we say, Mother England. Yep. And <clears throat> kind of, I've always liked your spirit out there because I kind of share your spirit. Yeah. I went to Hobart to uh, check out the penal colony down there and going, Man, you got your your breeding stock of Aussies. Good stock. 
<laughs> I make no complaints there, sir. No complaints. I, I, I love Aussie. I love the Aussie pe- people. I love their spirit, you know. And so it's been a love affair for me. I, I first went to Aussie to play rugby. That's why I was there. Really? Wow. But there's but, a whole there's a whole other story there. So before yeah, you, in many ways, I'm more Aussie than I am American. Yeah, we've adopted you. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of our own, sir. Like that's that's amazing. Yeah, that's yeah. You know, I love your country. Great country. Great people. Great mm. attitude. Oh yeah, ne- never say die attitude. I reckon, like, and and she'll be right. You know, in many ways. <laughs> so we also got this other syndrome. I, I believe you probably heard about it. The tall poppy syndrome about how yeah. we don't, we don't love talking about money finance. We, we want to know, but then we don't want to know at the same time. And what I'm curious to know is from your perspective, like how can we break away from this tall poppy syndrome to become financially free, wealthy, and, and actually start talking about money? Well, I think if you talk about how many people you serve, you know, like when I, you know, when I, when I, you know, I've sold now about 47 million books and I make a lot of money at it, but of all that means a lot of people read my book. Mm. Now, if I made a lot of money, the way the banks make their money, which is screwing people, yeah. that's another way of getting rich, you know? Yeah. So it's not so much money. It's, that's how you make your money. Mm. And, um, anyway, that's, that's just life. Mm. There's, there's it's many- not money. It's how you make your money. That's right. There's many ways to make money. Correct. And what I'm curious about is this is something that I've struggled with as well. Actually starting your own business and going to people and asking people for money. There's always going to be, I guess, that fear and that struggle to go in and, and ask. Did you ever find that when you were starting out or were you always oh, yeah. to ask? It's, it's always hard. You know, it's like the game of golf. In theory, it's a very simple game, mm. but it's also the hardest game in the world because the game is played with inside of you, if you know what I mean. And it's the same as entrepreneurship. You start off, you don't have a steady paycheck. You don't have, you don't know what you're doing most of the time. You're struggling and making mistakes and falling down a lot. Mm. But the reason I speak out against education is because education frowns upon people who go off on their own and stumble and fall and if they become successful, you know, in Aussie, they become the tall poppy. Yeah. So what? You know, I'd rather be a tall poppy than a lowly, you know, bloke. Anyway, it's just a choice you make. Mm. It, you know, in, in America, it's like, kind of, he's, he's not very well liked, but my friend is Donald Trump. Mm. He's a good guy. You know, I, I spent about eight years with him and his sons and his business and all that. We were, I was like part of their family with, with my wife and all this. But they get attacked left and right. Oh, my God, you know. Mm. And this to the point you don't know what's the truth anymore, yeah. what's fake, what's real. So I can just say, you know, I worked with Trump for eight years. He's for real. He's a good guy. Mm. But the media paints him as this idiot, you know. Yeah. It's it's all an agenda, really. That's yeah. that's what I believe. Like there's there's more to it than just what we see. We're conditioned to believe that it is a certain way because the media has told us to believe that it is. And yet they're creating mindless zombies for a lot of people. It's like, you, you must believe this because we tell you to. And it's the same thing with, with money as well. Like we're told in school, we're not even taught. We're told, okay, you must go to university. You must learn this. So then you can go and work for somebody. You're not allowed to earn X amount or you have to earn X amount, sorry. And then that's it. Because you're going to be a taxpayer, you're going to provide for, you know, like your family, for the economy, you're doing the, the country a service. The moment you go outside of that, it's almost like you're branded as a heretic, you're branded as, as being somebody that's a low life. But it's when in actual reality, you're the person that is actually wanting to make something bigger than just being sort of like following everybody else. And that's, that's what I noticed as well, uh, Robert, when I went to uni this year for about a semester, I hated it because uh, I, I started realizing, hang on a minute, this is such a bad system because, Robert, I, I would hand in my assignments, okay, they would be completely correct and then I would be interviewing the person that wrote the damn textbook 
I would quote them in my assignment, yet they wouldn't be good enough. I'd still get marked down. I'm thinking, well, this is stupid. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not gaining anything from this except for a piece of paper at the end. So I'm going to go and make a difference elsewhere. And well, I had the same, I had a similar experience in school. Mm. It's, it's something you learn to deal with. You know, even out of school, you deal with the same stuff, and um, it just never ends. No. But again, I'll just say it's not money; it's how you earn your money. So if you're selling drugs and making kids sick, you can make a lot of money doing that, but <clears throat> that's not good. And you could be like the Wall Street bankers who ripped a lot of people off and they get bonuses, but millions of people lost their homes. They're still rich people. I, I just couldn't do it that way. So a lot of times people don't differentiate how is the money made versus how much money they made. And I think when you when you when you look at anybody's money, the question is how did they make it, mm. and that's more important than how much they made. I love that. So yeah. how can we how can we get more educated on on money and knowing how to make the right kind of of money for us, like that we can actually live with ourselves <laughs> in in a, in a good way? Well, I I never thought I'd be a teacher. You know, I, I really dislike school. Mm. And the difference was I, had, I, I was lucky that I went to good schools. And what I mean by good schools is that uh, my rich dad, you know, I was nine years old. He teach me about money playing Monopoly. And I really had a great time. You know, playing Monopoly and all this stuff. And then my agreement with him, I had to work for free. So I'm working in this office. But he was applying the lessons I learned playing Monopoly to business. Mm. So I was learning like hands-on, real life, not, not, not textbook. And then the school I went to was in New York and we, you know, we, I sailed ships so I can drive oil tankers. And so for one year I spent at sea as a student sailing ships, you know, driving real ships, not textbook, real ships. And I was learning from real ships officers and in the engine rooms and the boiler rooms and the, on the deck, loading cargo, traveling throughout the world, you know, that's how I learned. I learned by real life. And then when I went to flight school for the U.S. Marine Corps, you know, my pilot, my instructor pilots were real pilots. You know, when you strapped in that airplane, you better hope they knew how to fly. Mm -hmm. And that's when the big difference was for me was that when I went to school, like you go to school, those teachers are full of, you know what? They're mm -hmm. textbook smart. They're not real life smart. So for young people, I always say, you know, just check out the teacher, you know, are they full of yeah. BS, you know, are, are they just talking from a textbook mm. or do they speak from real life? And I think that really makes a difference in your education. And uh, it's, you've got to choose your teachers wisely. Mm. So, so you're, that's, go ahead. You're, you're now an educator. Sorry to interrupt you. You're now an educator and you're, you're educating a lot of young people, including myself, how to right. financially free, and really find true the true meaning of wealth and you're not a, you're not backwards about being forwards as the saying goes which i absolutely love um and one of the things i wanted to ask you about is millennials money and entitlement why do you think that because i'm a millennial by just i don't feel entitled but why do you think that we the millennials had this entitlement mentality <clears throat> well i I, I, I met this guy who deals specifically with millennials, you know, how do you market to millennials? <laughs> it's, it's, it's really not that much different. They have guys like you who are ambitious. Mm. And you have other, you have you know, your peers who have no ambition at all. So I won't mention names, but I have family members whose kids, you know, one side of the family, they're all entrepreneurs. On the other side of the family, they're all single mom with kids, you know. They had a good time screwing, having kids, but now they don't have any money. Mm. And so mommy and daddy got to take care of them. And they feel entitled, you know, and, and then they get angry at their cousins who are entrepreneurs. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But they're all the same age group. Mm. So it's the same as for me. as when I came back from Vietnam, you know, I... I was just happy. I, I knew the exact day I got home, you know, January 3rd, two, um, 1970 through 
three. And I was, it was supposed to be the happiest day of my life, but I get spit on, like throw eggs at me, you know? And those are my classmates. <laughs> and I went to my high school reunion and they, they hated me. I said, how could you, how could you go to Vietnam? I said, well, I, I did, you know? <clears throat> and those guys became school teachers. And those are the ones who teach the kids today. So it's, it's, you always have that duality, you know, you have one size is one size is up and one side says down. It's always happening that way. So millennials are in good shape. You guys are, you're, you're tech savvy. I think that's your greatest advantage. Yeah. And, and my generation is we're tech or we're completely dinosaurs. So that's going to shape, shape the world technology wise. Mm. Technology really has no boundaries, if you know what I mean. So that's why I, I invest in Bitcoin just to keep an eye on you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, Robert, I'm curious because you, you sort of touched on it a little bit there. You went to Vietnam and you, and you fought in, in Vietnam. Um, I didn't want to touch on that, but I, wanna, I wanted to ask you, what was that experience like for you? What did you learn? It's fantastic. Vietnam? I mean, it's sad, but it's... Uh, and I gained tremendous respect for the Vietnamese people. Mm. You know, I, I think I would have been on the other side. Mm. I think you know, if Americans invaded my country like we did Vietnam, I'd probably be a Viet Cong. Mm. Do you know what I mean? How dare you come into my country? Yeah. And the other side of it, tremendous respect for the Aussies. You know, the Aussies were known as fantastic fighters. Mm. You know, your, your reputation was really a great reputation. And uh, you learn a lot about race. The South Koreans, they were the most feared. I mean, the South, well, they called them the Rock Marines, Republic of Korea Marines. And when they came down the street, people ran and hid because they, those, the Koreans didn't need guns to kill people. <laughs> they killed you with their feet, heart, hands, legs. They, they're just vicious people, but the nicest people. And also you get to see these uh I learned a lot about people. It was fantastic. You know, I, I didn't I didn't hate the Viet Cong. I didn't hate the Vietnamese. And a lot of my a lot of my peers did. Mm. But I learned respect for different races, different characteristics. And I said, the Aussies and the Kiwis had great, 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 great reputations, great fighters. Mm. And and that's that's important. If you're gonna be a fighter, it may, it may as well be a good one, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's that's a big difference. I'm curious, why did you not hate the Viet Cong? Why did you not feel that way, but yet others did? Why do you think that is? Well, the, the same as you would probably feel if I invaded Sydney. You mm -hmm. know, I would go, what the hell are you doing here? And then you look at America. I mean, I don't hate America, but we're at war always. We're, we're at war in the Middle East. And, that's, you know, and Trump just got nominated twice now recently for the Nobel Peace Prize because he's doing his best to bring peace to the Middle East. And um, he's getting a lot of flack because of that, because, you know, war is big business. Oh, yeah. So the military industrial complex wants him out of the war business and he wants to get, he wants to bring troops home and stop fighting. Mm. But, you know, the, I'm not, I'm not Republican or Democrat, but the Democrats just keep attacking him. Mm. And so I, you know, I really think that it's anyway. As you get as you get older, the more you stand for your principles, you will be attacked just like anybody is attacked for standing the principles. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I didn't hate the Viet Cong. I didn't hate the people. They, they're just fighting for their principles, their values, same as I was. Mm -hmm. yeah. how, how long were you in Vietnam for? I went there twice in 1966 and 73. Wow. And uh, I was a student at first, you know, because it was military school. And I went to learn uh, war operations. Mm. The second time I went back as a pilot. And, uh, mm. Each time it was, it was sad, but good. You know, I mean, life isn't just about being happy. You know, if you're going to be happy all day long, you're on heroin or some upper. You know what I mean? You're, you're on some drug trying to dull the pain. But life is also about pain. Mm. and also compassion for my fellow human beings. And so when I, when I saw the, Viet, the Vietnamese people, I felt for them. 
I really felt for him. And they, there's just innocent. And also, there was caught in the crossfire. So kind of wish you weren't, I wish, I wish it wasn't on the other side, but I was anyway. So that's, that's life, you know. Do you have any regrets? No, no, no. no I'm glad I went. I would, I would have been upset if I didn't go. Mm. Because there's a, uh, there's a difference between men and women who go to war, I mean, real war, and people who don't. You just come back with a different reality. Mm. It's just, it changes you. It changed me a lot. Mm. So when I, when I came home, uh, I couldn't talk to a lot of my classmates because they're all anti-war. They, and I was glad I went. That's, that's, that's the only difference. That's life. I like how you mentioned that, you know, it's not always about being happy because life is going to bring you a lot of pain. Someone, someone wise once told me, he said, look, Jay, pain is inevitable. Be a reaction to the pain. That's your choice. And I think that that got me thinking for the first time in a long time, because Robert, I've experienced a lot of pain over my 24 years of existence in health-wise, relationship-wise, you, you name it. Uh, I've been broke several times. You know, I've experienced that. But my reaction to it dictated, number one, where I went. Because, like, you can wallow in self-pity all you want. But if that's not going to increase you forward. And what I also noticed is that in pain, you have the ability to see things that other people don't. You're at, at the bottom, you're able to see where you need to go. Whereas if you're already up here, you don't care. You don't care about people. You don't care about really much anything but yourself. Uh, well, yeah. we, we, all, we all carry pain. You know? I mean, no matter, you look at all the child stars and all that, you go, how could they be unhappy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're a star. Well, you know, there was uh, Princess Diana. She was, she was a princess. And she had the most miserable life possible. Yeah. And, and I, I think what happens is when you try and medicate the pain, that's alcoholism. My, my medication of choice is food. You know, I eat when I'm unhappy mm-hmm. or I go shopping. Other people, it's drugs or opioids or heroin. So we all medicate in some way, and which means we're human. We all have pain. And it's how we deal with it. So there is a lot of truth I could pass on. There's a lot of truth and no pain, no gain. You know, like I hate going to the gym, but no pain in the gym, more pain later on. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And, and so um, to think that life's going to be, you know, meat pies and a beer, that's not it. <laughs> I wish it was all about meat pies, right? Because <laughs> meat pies are damn good. <laughs> Uh, now it's making me want a meat pie. Far out. <laughs> um, Robert, I'm curious to know, this is one of the questions that I ask a lot of entrepreneurs. What has been the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, I don't know. But it's not that bad, you know I mean? I, I'm an entrepreneur and I've always looked for the challenge. And so I wanted to start a gold mine. So I started a gold mine in China and we had a, made a billion dollars on it. And then the Chinese took it. So I was a billionaire for about a year and then they seized it. And then I started a silver mine in uh, Argentina. And I think it was trading for like $3 a share. Wow. And I was gonna be another millionaire. And then my stockbroker, who doesn't know anything about gold and silver, he said I should dump it. So I dumped my, I dumped the shares of a company I took public. And I bought it back yesterday. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> at, a, at, a, at a much higher price. <laughs> it was really a good company. <laughs> but I'm, I'm kind of being facetious about that, you know. But we all have pain. We all have Heartbreak, sadness, you know. I always say the biggest lie I ever told was then they got then they lived happily ever after again. I've never seen one couple live happily ever after again. And they always fight, they have problems, they have kids. 
you know, I had this one business partner. What was really sad was that she told me she and her husband. And I went, that's pretty dysfunctional. You know what I mean? It's pretty dysfunctional. And then, uh, but I think what happened, their kids got dysfunctional. I, you know, it kind of like radiated out from the two of them. And so the kids are all screwed up. You know, one kid blew his brains out in, the, in their kitchen Jeez. because the pain was too intense. So I'm not a therapist, but I just observe things like that. Uh, I was very fortunate, you know, I had solid, solid family. They still fought, but it was solid family. And then Kim came from a solid family. My wife came from a solid family. And so you, the best thing you can do is be a good parent, no matter how hard it is. Because you have kids, oh my God, you have problems, you know, like, holy mackerel. But if you don't take it on the kids, that's good. So, How did you meet your wife, Kim? Oh, uh, in a bar. <laughs> yeah. Really? What's, was, what's the story behind that? What's that? What's the story behind you and Kim? Like, how did you woo Kim? Was it love at first sight or was there more? No, there's this, there, there, there used to be these bars called TGI Fridays, you know, Friday, they're yes. still around. Friday yes, we got that here. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And they have two platforms that have a bar and they have the dining below it. So I'm cruising along the bottom floor and I saw these pair of legs up there. <laughs> she, had the, she had the tightest jeans on. And I, I, I said, holy mackerel. Great butt, great legs. I'm going, holy moly. I'm just staring. I never got past her waist. I'm just <laughs> and all of a sudden I looked up and she caught me and she was smiling at me and I went, holy mackerel. So that's how we met. And then she wouldn't go out with me for six months. <laughs> she kept saying, well, I can't go out with you. I have a boyfriend. I said, Kim, I'm not looking for a long-term relationship here. I just, <laughs> just want a meaningful one night. You bum, get out of here, you know? So anyway, but eventually she, after six months, she went out with me and been married for like 30 years now. <laughs> what? It, hasn't been, it hasn't been easy because, you know, we've had a rough time with the businesses and all that. Mm. But that's what, makes, that's what love is. It holds you together during the rough times. So that's good. Wow. <laughs> I can't get over that. I noticed the legs part. <laughs> That's great. So when she did decide to actually go out with you, Robert, where, what, what did you notice about her that made you want to spend the rest of your life with her? Well, you know, there's, there's people who are beautiful on the outside and you know, just rotten on the inside. Mm. A lot of those people, you know, men and women. But the more I got to know her, she's more beautiful on the inside. She's beautiful on the outside, but she's actually more lovely on the inside. And um, I started talking to her about life's purpose and, you know, similar questions to you. Why are you in business? What are you, what are you doing? You know, why are you working? And uh, I started talking to her about what was your purpose in life? And I, I think, you know, when you, when you, I was already in my thirties, I said, you may as well grow up and figure out what does God want done. That's what, I'm not real religious, but not what do what do I want to do? Is what does God need done? That's the question. Mm-hmm. Like if you could cure cancer, would you cure it? Of course you would. So all I could see was that we're we're coming to this financial crisis we're in today. I mean, we're in a, we're in a depression right now, mm-hmm. and I could see it coming back in the '80s. Because that's that's what I'm tracking. This is an investor. I'm always tracking that. And so I told her, I said, I, you know, the world needs financial education in our school system. Mm. You know, that they're, they're like my my dad. The school teachers are just, they just want their paycheck. They don't give a crap about anything else. They get a paycheck and a time off. They're happy, but they're not teach, they're not preparing kids for the real world. And that and and I said, I think that's what I have to do. So. Uh, this is an 84. I'm talking to Kim and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how I can teach financial education to the masses. And I said, I don't know how to do it, but uh, somebody's got to do it. And if not me, then who would do it? 
And I was leaving Hawaii. I had nothing. I was, I sold my business and all this stuff. And she just says, can I go with you? So she quit her job and all this, and we journeyed out together. Mm. And it was with hard. We're, we're homeless for a while and all that. And um, the more mistakes we made and things, the smarter we got. And <clears throat> eventually we made it to Aussie. And that's why I was going to Aussie and Kiwiland about four times a year. And so we just love it. We love you guys. It's the best country around. Mm. Well, we love you, Robert. We love everything that you stand for and everything that you're putting out there into the world. Thank you yeah. for sharing that incredible story, by the way. And, yeah, and of course, the question is, what does God want done mm. for us? What do you want to do? So if I could bring world peace, you know, I'd work on it. But if I could cure COVID, I would cure it. But it's not in, it's not in my capacity right now. So I just started teaching about money. I just teach. My rich dad taught me. I love that. Like you've helped me, like I was saying before, you've helped me with money. One of the best pieces of advice that I ever got uh, towards money was don't ever spend what you don't have. So don't get afterpay. Don't, if you don't have the money, don't spend it. He said, it's like the worst thing that you can ever do is get into more debt. No, I, I, there's a different, there are differences. I use debt. I'm, I'm, I'm probably 600 million in debt, but I use 600 million to buy assets. Mm. You see people buy, use debt like their credit card to buy new clothes or uh, dinner out and things like that. That's bad debt. <clears throat> Good debt is debt that makes you richer. Okay. So I, I don't save money because I don't trust the U.S. dollar. Mm. And so, and since I don't have dollars, I use debt. So it's completely opposite of what they teach you in school. Mm. So I was just talking to these gentlemen came to see me here from Russia. And they said, What's, what skill do you have? I said, I can raise money. Mm. You know, it's, it's really skills that make you rich or poor. So if I needed money, I can always raise capital. But I've got to, I've got to create the asset, like a new business or a new piece of property that people want to invest in. That, that's, that's what being an entrepreneur is. Mm-hmm. So that's all I do. And then I buy gold. So I started buying gold in 1973, too. I was flying in Vietnam and I, and I was looking for a gold mine. And the problem was the gold mine was behind NVA, North, North Vietnamese Army lines. So being Marines, we're not the brightest guys on earth. So we flew behind enemy lines to look for gold. That was stupid. But <laughs> anyway, and then uh, I started buying silver in 1964. So I just acquired a little bit at a time over all these years. I'm 73 now. I have millions in gold and silver. And I, I couldn't spend it all right now. So it really wasn't sheer intelligence or anything. It was just knowing what is real and gold and silver and Bitcoin are real. Mm. You know, I don't trust the Aussie dollar, the Kiwi dollar, the US dollar, Canadian, Euro, Peso, Yen. I don't trust any of it. But I trust what's real. So that's why I love real estate, you know. I mean, I used to own a property in King's Cross and a property in Rush Country, Spain. Wow. Yeah. I was actually in real estate for seven months selling multi-million dollar properties, which was a huge experience for me. And you you learn a lot about people, about money as well, uh, just about what to look for in good properties and and the the fluctuations in the market too, which sort of leads me to one of my, my, my final questions for you, Robert, is you mentioned that a bit earlier about we're in a depression. And what I've always been curious about is why do we have depressions in the first place? Well, they're cyclical. You know, it's, it's like, why do we have, you know, summer, winter, and fall, spring? Just cyclical. There's, there's a great book I'll call The Fourth Turning. And it came out, I think, around 1998. And it said the depression would come in 2020. It's right on schedule. <laughs> And it, it said one of one of the causes might be this exactly would be a virus out of China. Yeah, I heard about that. It's all happening. 
the trouble is if you're not prepared for it. And the, one of the hard things about Aussie is you guys have, haven't had a recession in 30 years. And the reason for that is because China buys everything you guys ship. And now that China's going down, China's in very serious trouble. And Aussie feels it. Mm. So that's what it's a global depression. It's not good or bad. You know, what you're doing is a smart thing to do is you're being an entrepreneur, being proactive. Mm. Entrepreneurs will do fine if you're a good one. Mm. So it's the economy is the economy. Do you think that the depression or being in a depression is sort of the best time to make money? Yep. I'm making more money today than I ever have before. 2008, I thought I died and went to heaven. <laughs> well, because the markets crashed, you know, they dropped interest rates from like 6% down to 2%. Well, that's the price of money. So I was just borrowing, I borrowed $300 million within two years. But the reason I could borrow was because I had studied real estate years before. And so I knew what the banks were looking for. So I just, and, and the real estate prices were crashing 2008, 2009 also. And a lot of these guys were, they didn't know anything about real estate. They had all this real estate, but they were mismanaging. And so I just helped them, I just helped them out of their problems. <laughs> and I got all this real estate for really cheap. And I go to the bank and I said, now give me some money for them. Mm. They gave me all this cheap money for it. And I thought it was great. But other people, it was a bad time. Mm. So, it's, it's, you know, what my rich dad taught me is always three sides to a coin, heads, tails, and the edge. Mm. And you want to stay on the edge. Even if it's bad, there's something good. It's something good, there's something bad. You know, and if you only see it as good or bad, then you miss, you're not intelligent anymore. Mm. So, <laughs> 2008, 2009, uh, I got richer and right now we're making more money than ever before. And I'm planning on getting richer again. And it's not because being rich is that important. It's kind of just the game, you know, I'm going to serve more people. That's what I do. So uh, that's it. And I make a lot of money or I could sell drugs and make a lot of money too. Take your choice. Do you ever get sick of it though? Do you ever get sick of making a lot of money? No. No, because I don't always, sometimes I got my ass handed to me. Mm. But that's when you stand back up. You know, if you can't stand back up and learn from it, you've, you've really lost. Mm. Um, you know, I've had people steal money from me. My, I, 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 my wife and I haven't had good partners. They steal. And uh, it's painful. Mm. It's painful. You know, betrayal. Betrayal is a huge problem. So that's like, Mm. it's real life I've got three more questions for you uh, Robert this one is my legacy question that I love asking people at the end so you've been able to reach the age of 100 and your friends have put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done then ask me how they got it or we'll call it magic but they just did and they've shown it to you on your 100th birthday what do you want that film to say and to show about your life jeez I hope I'm dead before then <laughs> Who would want to live to a hundred? <laughs> no, it's, it's not. It's not really what I think about. You know, I hate to say that. I'm just. Uh, I just remember what uh, there was a woman named Helen Keller. You know, she was a deaf, dumb, dumb and blind, mm. and she, she was in that movie, The Miracle Worker. So when I was in high high school, I think there was a movie about her, mm. and she had a classic line: "She says, life is a daring adventure." Or nothing. And, you know, to me, every day is this adventure. And if I could pass that on, you know, that's not for everybody. A lot of people just want to sit at home and do what they do, play golf. To me, that's boring. So I just want the next adventure. Mm. And I think that's a life's this adventure. I love that. This is, I've always wanted to ask you this question. I've asked it to a couple of other people, but I've always wanted to ask you, what was the first lesson that you learned when you earned your first million dollars? Um, well, I, I, I think the saddest part is when people steal. You know, my, my first business was a nylon and Velcro surfer wallet business. I was 27 years old. 
And so we're really, really successful. This is in Honolulu, and we're making a lot of money. And then my uh, accountant ran off with the money. And you go, you know, I trusted the guy. Mm. And I, 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 you know, he was putting all the money in his bank account, and then he closed the bank accounts and ran. And you go, you go like that, and you go, but it's not, and it wasn't the last time. You know, there's people who are really, really good people who are desperate for money. So as young as you are, so I think what you're looking for are those people you trust with your life. Mm. And I think that was one of the best lessons I got going to Vietnam is pretty soon. Um, I only flew with guys I trusted with my life. And my job was to bring them home alive. Their job was to get me home alive. Mm. And um, it wasn't about being heroes or anything like that. It was just being the best pilots, being the best gun crews up there and coming home alive. I mean, unfortunately, we killed a lot of people. Mm. But that was their side of the story. Mm. But in life, I think you get down to who are your the people you trust with your life. And I have that right now. You know, I have a lot of bad people or dishonest people or weak people, whatever you want to call them. But the people I do business with, I trust them implicitly. Um, and that's the, the, the best feeling of all. Mm. How do you build trust? Yeah, we, we study, you know, every, every Friday we get together, we study something together, you know, via Zoom. And we all support each other financially and not by giving, but if I can help you here, I can help you there and all that stuff. It comes down to your relationships and the people you hang out with. It's just priceless. Mm-hmm. It's just like Donald Trump. His sons and I are really, really good friends. And I can call the president of the United States sons. You know, how you doing? And I'm, not, I'm the same age as Donald, but those guys are my friends. They're great kids. Great, great kids. Mm-hmm. You know, I was up in upstate New York with them going to a clay shooting cl- club. And I was just so impressed. Here it is. Donald Trump's sons, and they treat everybody with tremendous respect. They're really good kids, and and so when I when I look at kids, I look at the parents also. I think we started this whole thing as I have friends whose you know daughters just have kids, and they want people to take care of them. And on the other side of the family are daughters who are entrepreneurs. You know, they take care of other people. So that's life. You know, you'll always have three sides of a coin. And your job is to stand look at both sides. I love that. Yeah. So good. My, yeah. my last question for you, Robert, is this one I've only asked to one other person. If, if a genie gave you three wishes, what would they be and why? I'd wish for 10 more. <laughs> <laughs> You may as well just go for it. <laughs> I like no, that. <clears throat> there's, there's bad luck is good luck if you get that bad luck was essential for you learning something. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I've had a lot of bad luck, but it was really essential that it was like a kind of a wake up call. So, oh, I'm, I'm, it's sad that that happened, or it's bad that it happened. So the real genie is, can you turn bad luck into good luck? Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, you got the touch, you got the magic. That's good. Because, because to live in a world where it's only all good, you're not living in the real world. I love that. Yeah. So the, can you turn, because you know, eventually good luck turns to bad luck too. Mm. Can, mm. I ask you, can I ask you one more question, please? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Uh, this one, okay. If you were to ask a question to anyone alive or dead, who would it be? Why? And what question would you ask them? I'm just curious. Hmm. Well, one of my teachers was uh, Dr. R. Buckminster Fuller. You know, he created the geodesic domes and all that. I studied with him for three summers. And the reason I'm in this business of education, although I hated school and I swore I'd never be a teacher, he was, he was the guy that put the question to our little class. He says, what does God want done? It's not what do you want to do, it's what needs to be done. And then figure out which one you can contribute to. Mm. 
So I looked at my past. I was already near 40. And I said, geez, I have a rich dad and a poor dad. I like money. I, I study it. It's not a, it's not a, I didn't study it for school. I like investing. I like entrepreneurship. And I said, well, maybe I should teach it rather than just use what I know to make myself rich. Mm-hmm. So I started teaching what I knew because I think it needs to be done. And that led to Rich Dad, Poor Dad, be going on the Oprah show, you know, writing books with Donald Trump because we just wanted to share what we knew with other people. And the more we, and the more we, more I focus on what God wants done, the more money I make, the better life gets. But not there's no up and downs or heartaches, but I just focus on that, what wants to be done. And you look at what we're in today with this COVID p- pandemic. It's not a pandemic. It's really the economy is crashing right now. And so if if I can support in any way, that's what I'm going to do. I love that. Robert, thank you so much for your time, for your service, everything that you are. Where can people find you? Where can people connect with you and learn more about you? No, it's just richdad.com. So thank, thank you so much. Thank you for thank the Storybox podcast. Thank you. I don't like this part because it means, sadly, we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it will go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.